The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 212 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, Membership Director for Wealth Builders, joined today by our founder, Mr. Kevin Whelan. Good afternoon, Kevin. Hi, Chris. Good to be with you again. We've been out and about, haven't we, recently? Sure have. Yeah, we were in London town playing games. So I was hosting the Cashflow 101 game last night, and you were taking a look at another game just down the road. Life-size Monopoly, right? Not rolling a dice and moving your shoe from one place to the other, but landing on properties and having escape rooms with challenges to win the property. Giant board games for up to 20 people at a time, well-organized, well-structured, right in the heart of London, and literally a hop, skip, and a jump away from where you were doing the cash flow 101, which seemed to be pretty good. And a few people, I, I understand, got out of the rat race, Chris. They did. They did indeed. So uh, this is the board game that Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, created many years ago, actually. And we were playing it often before the pandemic and glad to say it's back. And uh, we're kicking off in London. Obviously, that's sort of our home turf, but we appreciate we've got listeners all across the country. So fear not, we will be traveling with those boards. In fact, just announced our next event that's coming up, which is a networking drinks evening in Manchester. And that's taking place on Wednesday, October the 18th in a lovely location in the heart of Manchester. And we'll put the link in today's show notes. And if you're on the Wealth Builders mailing list, which hopefully you are, you'll receive some emails with all of the details. And uh, we're going to be up there, Kevin. So we look forward to seeing some more new faces. Well, that's right. And uh, I was actually speaking. I did a speaking engagement yesterday on the whole subject of wealth for a, a lovely lady called Debbie, who's got a fantastic venue up in the Northeast. I have to say it's in Sunderland, which is not really my favorite part of the world for obviously <laughs> reasons with Newcastle versus Sunderland, but I could be persuaded. Instead, she's got a great venue and uh, potentially would be hosting something up in the Northeast as well. So we're coming to a town near you soon. Absolutely. And if you just want to go to a central place and see where the nearest event is to you, then you can head to the Wealth Builders website. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash events. And one of the first events you will see is our big families launch, which is taking place next week, Tuesday, the 3rd of October. We've been talking about this over the last few podcast episodes, Kevin, but finally, we're ready to share with all of our members, our listeners, our community everything that we're doing to bring together parents who really feel passionately about sharing their knowledge, their wisdom, their lessons with their children, their teenagers, their young adults to help them become better financial role models. Yeah. And, and also so that the net result is we've got responsible, generous, good-natured young adults capable of making good financial decisions, not wasteful ones, perpetuating the legacy that we absolutely want and getting involved in that. So they, they can cope with life. It's not trying to make people superstars. It's trying to make people super conscientious. And we, we really want to do that well. Although we often lament that they don't teach it at schools, I think for many reasons, schools could reinforce it. But it's the parents who are the best influencers, in my view, not least because we're with them for longer than anybody else, not just during the day, but, but also during their lives. So we need to be the best influencers we can be. Might be worth mentioning the quiz as well, Chris. Absolutely. We've created a quiz, how to be a great money role model for your children, teenagers, and young adults. I'll link to that in today's show notes because I'm throwing out lots of URLs. So to save you scribbling it down, you might be in the gym, you might be walking, you might be driving. Just know that you can find all of the information on today's show notes or head to the Wealth Builders website, wealthbuilders.co.uk. Again, will be the place to go for that. But definitely join us next week on our family's launch. We've got two sessions on Tuesday, the 3rd of October, one at lunchtime, one in the evening. We'd love for you to be there. We've got so much to share. Again, link will be in the show notes for today. What's really interesting for me, Chris, I see the numbers pouring in to attend it, is it's equally divided, uh, almost exactly between the lunchtime session and the evening session. So deliberately, conscientiously designed to give people access when they can. And we will be making a one-time, very, very special opportunity for people to get involved. 
at such a super low cost, it can't, it's not even a brainer. We're not even going to talk about that. We just really want to kickstart this mission, this campaign with a bunch of energy that just explodes out. Uh, we want the quiz, which is all about what type of money role model are you, not how to be a great money role model, but I get where you're going there. And we want to just get parents involved. And obviously, we're going to talk to somebody today is very much a, an entrepreneurial mum very focused on her children, but and, and it's got a unique female insight that we absolutely think is great. But, you know, we want this to reach out to mums, to dads, to grandmas and granddads and carers and aunts and uncles and all sorts of people who've got a very special reason to care about the financial success of their younger ones. And uh, we're very passionate about it. So, yeah. Please, if you can make it, come along on 3rd of October. Yeah, so lots of exciting things going on there. And uh, we don't want to deflect the attention from our fantastic guest today, who is Dr. Joanna Martin. And many of you perhaps have attended one of her workshops, been to one of her events. And uh, Joanna's a real leader of women and uh, inspiring women to really make change. And especially through the uh, difficult times of the last few years supporting busy women to increase their impact. It's all about impact, Joanna, and entrepreneurship as a byproduct of really her own calling, which is to help women make a big change. And uh, we're going to be hearing from Joanna today what it's like for her role as an authority in her space, as an author, as someone who's on social media a lot, but then with two young children as well that need attention and hearing how her and her husband, Greg, have been helping them in their own journey of understanding more about money and about finance. And some very interesting insights. Some of them are an absolute reflection of our own value set, Chris, and some very interesting distinctions that I'm sure people will find inspiring and and perhaps want to follow. Yes, indeed. And Joanna actually appeared on the podcast back in April 2020. That was episode 54. And uh, she was talking then about creating intellectual property, so courses and products. So if you're interested in that, Again, go and check that episode out after you finish today's, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But uh, let's have a listen now to uh, our conversation with Dr. Joanna Martin. Joanna, welcome back to Wealth Talk today. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Kristen. And I'm thrilled to be back talking to you again. I love having chats with you. Yeah, I know. It was probably COVID days when we last had you on the podcast. It was. So uh, things have moved on. How's, how's business going for you at the moment? What's, what's going on? Yeah, it's going really well. Thank you. It's going really, really well. I feel like we've just got to that point where I feel like we safely stewarded our community of, you know, mothers and breadwinners and carers through what was probably one of the toughest chapters in our generation. And uh, we've come out the other side and we're in a really good, strong place. The community is thriving. We tripled our client base actually during COVID because women got more stress, not less during that time. So brought out of a few more programs to support them as well. So we got very, very busy, which was the challenge then for me was how to you know, scale and grow. And then, then once it was all done, simplify and streamline, because it all happened very fast. And you know, when things go fast, they don't always go in the most elegant way. <laughs> but it's going fantastically well. I'm, I'm yeah. really happy. Yeah, well, you're looking fantastic as well. So things are obviously going well. And we know your husband, Greg, well. Today, we're going to find out a bit more about your family, Joe, and uh, some of the things that you're doing to help your children learn about money, business, and just become more rounded individuals as they grow up. And so let's find out a bit more about your family. So uh, tell us, uh, who who are the members, Joe? Yeah, well, uh, the immediate family are me, my husband, Greg. We're both Australian living in the UK. And my two kids, James is 10 and Rosie is six. So you've obviously had 10 years of experience of being a, a woman in business, you know, running events. I know, you, you know, you're always, always doing something, Joe. Let's start there, perhaps, because some of the conversations I've had over the last couple of weeks have, have been with the men. It's obviously a different perspective. And I imagine a few more plates that might have to be spun helping the children as they grow. You know, let's talk about that for a moment, the role of the women in business being a, a mother as well. Yeah. Do you know, I think there is something unique that, and I'm not going to say every man and every woman, because I think every partnership is different. But on the whole, certainly what we notice in our community is that the mothers tend to also be the emotional stability and support for the kids. So as soon as you become a woman running your own business, and Greg and I are in both the business together and in life together and parenting together, you know, we do do it all. But there is the extra pressure always on me because the kids want mum. 
when things are tough emotionally, I'm the one that they want, which for us especially is challenging because I'm the front person in the business. So I'm the one that can't be interrupted, but he can be. He's his back office stuff. So he can be interrupted for five or 10 minutes. So he could deal with the falling apart at the seams. And I might be running a live event or doing a podcast like this and I can't, but they want me. So I think that is one piece that makes it slightly more challenging for women in business than men if they are parents. Then the second one is we do experience our emotional ups and downs more acutely, I think, than our male counterparts. Most of the men that I've interviewed over the years or known in my life seem to be able to compartmentalize. I'm not saying you don't have emotions, you clearly do, but your ability to not let them seep across everything, I think, is something which is brilliant and something I admire about the masculine energy, which for we women, we're a little bit more connected. Like the work part of my brain is much more connected to the family part of my brain, is much more connected to my relationship part of my brain than I, than I see reflected in Greg. So emotional ups and downs shake us a bit more. And in most of the mentoring that I've done of women in business over the last few decades now, we're only ever as pouring ourselves into our business as our kids allow us space for. There will always be the higher the higher priority and we'll pace around that. So it's not a, a gripe or a whinge. I think it's just an observation of what I've noticed and what I see in the community, but it is something to be managed. And it's something, you know, I certainly for Greg and I, we have an incredible partnership. I couldn't ask for someone better in uh, partnering in both life and business, but it is a constant conversation for us all, always and me having to be able to articulate the kind of support I need from him and the kind of support he needs from me. And how do you think or do you see this influencing James and Rose, seeing you doing what you do, social media with such a big following? What signs have you seen? Are they curious to ask questions about what you're doing? Are they showing some signs of wanting to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, yes and no. So it depends on, yeah. So let me tell you what I'm noticing. First of all, because I teach women, I have been very cautious over the years because of course, cultural paradigm, we know we live in a, in a, a paradigm that prioritizes the male experience and that, that is the way that it is and has been for you know generations. However, in our little family bubble, it's all about the women. My kids don't have a lot of men in their lives. We live on the other side of the country from our families. Greg's not a big friend maker, so he doesn't have loads of blokes around or anything. So the kids only see women. They see me teaching women. So I've got to be very careful. I remember when James was about four or five, he asked me, mum, why don't you teach men? And I had to explain patriarchy to a four-year-old, you know, and then at one Christmas, I had a, I've got a Christmas jumper that says slay, spelt, you know, the Santa slay, slay the patriarchy. <laughs> and the kid's like, well, what does that mean? So we had some, um, having some really interesting conversations around that. But I have to be super careful to not have it swing the other way in our little bubble, you know, because they see mum going out to work. I'm the one who goes away all of the time. Greg's the one who's doing a lot more of the domestic kind of side of things. And I don't want either of them to grow up thinking that that's the norm either. You know, like norm can be whatever works for the couple and whatever works for the partnership. And certainly that men absolutely deserve to be educated. And, uh, you know, because I could see his little brain starting to go, oh, right, so men don't need that or want that or don't deserve it or, what? you know, what was that he was trying to unpick? So that was really interesting just through that lens. But then on the general entrepreneurship side, yeah, James has wanted to be an inventor and entrepreneur since he was about four. He started, he got his first locking diary and it is full of business plans and who wow. is going to be CEO and who's going to be the, um, what was it? His, his mate Oliver liked painting. So he was going to paint the cars that he was going to design. And so he's always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And Rose actually could totally take over the family business. Like she is a better version of me. You wow. know, she's even more bold and <laughs> courageous. She gets stuff faster than most of the people I teach. You know, she reflects things back to me sometimes. You know, she catches me when I'm having a stressful moment and she says, come here, mum. She looks me in the eyes and she goes, come on, two more, mum. <laughs> so I'm like, you're amazing, kid. You're wow. amazing. Wow. So 
she has said to me, and I have to be really careful not to jump on it and go, yes, let's do this together, Rose, because I want her to have her life. She also wants to be a pop star. So we'll see. But both of them want several kind of different sorts of careers. And I'm at the stage where I just encourage that because what I now do for a living, I didn't even know existed when I was six. And I think some of the things they're dreaming of doing may or may not even need doing. I think there'll probably always be room for pop stars, but you know, may or may not even need doing when they're they've got jobs. You know, who knows? Like will yeah. engineers still be engineering or will computers be doing it all for us? You know, I I don't know what that's going to look like. And that's where James is kind of tending into that arena. Yeah. But yeah, they're definitely very curious about business. Rosie just in the car on the way home started saying, Mum, what what earns the most money? So, you know, she's starting to go, oh, some things earn more money than others. And then we had the conversation about, well, these are the sorts of things that earn the most money. I said, I think always it's having your own business is you, you're going to have the capacity to earn earn the most, but you've got to love it. You've got to also be doing something that you enjoy along the way as well. And otherwise you're not going to stick with it. So it doesn't really matter. Well, that's a good point actually about earning money. You know, I've been asking the question around pocket money, you know, how do you introduce that? And is it simply handing over an amount mm. every week? Or is there some kind of relationship with, well, you've got to earn, you've got to create value, you know, mm. the time for money relationship. How, how, how do you see all of that? Yeah. See, Greg and I, we've had so many conversations about this before it came along. We were like adamant that there was going to be no, you earn it for chores because bugger that, no one pays me for a stack in the dishwasher, do you know? So it's like, we weren't going to do jobs and earning pocket money. And then... I spoke to my sister last Christmas and she said, you don't have to do it forever. You've got to get them started with money though or otherwise. And, and, and it, it was actually a fair shout. So where we've ended up with it is that, first of all, we waited until James was curious about money. And basically that happened on the back of being very curious about Lego and wanting more and more Lego. So when he wanted Joker Manor, which was this ridiculously expensive, huge Batman bit of Lego kit. That's when we introduced pocket money. And for him, we linked it to reward on some of the things that we wanted him to be doing at that time. This was like sleep in his own bed and that kind of stuff is how we started. But that was about when he was four. And when when we started though, because I wanted him to just earn the money and be able to save up for his Lego to start with. But I was very cautious because I didn't want to teach my kids that you earn money and you get to spend it all on fun stuff. Because I know as an adult now, you've got to divide it up responsibly, some for now, some for later, some for contribution. So I promised James that when he turned five, I would teach him the secrets of money. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want, I, I kind of then made it this exciting thing that he was going to learn when he was five. So just after his fifth birthday, I taught him four really simple money secrets and he was he loved secrets back then which were the kind of principles that I teach my community now but distilled into a simpler to understand version so the principle of adding value you know of, of doing something of greater value to attract money i called money goes to people who help people and the principle of looking after your money you know budgeting and and taking care of it we called money stays with people who look after it so in our house if you find 10p on the ground and no one's looking after it, it's yours because no one's really mm-hmm. taking care of that. If we find it in the street, we look around and see if someone's lost it. But, you know, as long as it gets looked after. And money likes to flow was another one. So that kind of sets up the contribution side and, and the giving side. So we talked him through these simple pieces and I explained compound interest. In addition to that, I taught him then that he had three jars, that he had the grow jar the fun jar and the give jar. And the grow jar, so every pound that he earned from then on, and and Rosie learned all of this much earlier because she's watching an older sibling. So right from the get-go, she's on board. She wants her jars before she can even ride on them, you know. But now every pound he earns gets split equally between the three jars, just to keep the math simple. The grow jar goes into a savings account to start with until he started getting pissed off about like interest rates. I'm like, (laughs) Now's the time to learn about, you know, investment vehicles. The fun jar gets busted up on Lego. Now it's evolved for James into Rubik's Cubes. For Rose, it's soft toys with the big beanie eye things. And the give jar is the money that they get to give. And occasionally they'll, they'll know I'm doing a fundraiser for the Hunger Project, which I'm the chair of here in the UK. And occasionally 
odd socks day at school, they have to take some money along. So they take it from their own contribution jar. So it has a meaning for them because they've earned that money. So yeah, that's how we do it. And then the earning pocket money where we're at at the moment, it has evolved over time. Um, We started out, it was just to do with living our values. So we have a, a set of family values that we've created together. That's where it started exclusively. Like I said, at Christmas time, I knew I needed help getting jobs done. So Kath said, just do it for a period of time. So now it's both. It's our values and chores earn the pocket money. It seems to work well. We don't just hand it out. It's got to be adding some value, helping out. And then we look for evidence of our values. So we have like empathy and taking care of ourselves, like looking after our bodies and love and kindness and things like that. So as we go at the end of every day, we sit down at dinner time and they've got their little charts that are laminated that have got the values and their jobs on it. And we go, how did you demonstrate empathy today? How did you demonstrate looking after yourself today? And if they can't remember and they can't come up with an idea, they don't get their tick and they don't get the money. And it works well. It's so far shaping good little humans. Well, it sounds like it. No, that's fantastic to hear. And we've created a family wealth declaration as well, Joe, which uh, our members sign. And, and it's really the same kind of concepts, you know, integrity, sharing, community, helping one another just being a good person. But um, I guess sticking on the sort of financial theme and obviously some of the, you know, the lessons that you're sharing and teaching with your children are brilliant there. But what are they learning about money and finance at school from what you're aware? Next to nothing, actually, from what I can figure out, to be perfectly honest. I mean, they're working out, I mean, Rosie's still pretty little, so that she's still learning the value of the currency and stuff. And as for James, I've never heard them talking about anything. So from what I'm what I'm experiencing, what they're learning about money is all coming from us at the moment. And what's your thoughts on that? Why do you think that schools are not helping children to understand more about what a pay slip is or the fact that tax will be taken from what you earn and, and these simple things that, you know, suddenly they leave school and they like, wow, why didn't anybody tell me this stuff? Yeah, exactly. My guess as to why is because it's not part of what is on the Ofsted checklist of what we have to be getting good at, you know, like there's a mandate obviously from the government about what we have to be graduating children with and it's not with any education around wealth, it's that they can read and write and do basic maths and that's about it. I think our education system really is letting young people down dramatically, not I want to be really clear here, not teachers. I think teachers are bloody awesome, but I think there is a real structural or focus change that needs to occur there. At least we're starting to see more growth mindset as a topic and and a way of being coming into the conversation. So at least we're seeing it on the, you know, on the mindset side, I think, starting to come into the education system. Certainly at my kids' school, they're very good on that stuff. But yes, financial literacy and, you know, appreciation of all of that, I don't think it's there. And I do do think it needs to be. I absolutely think it needs to be. Obviously, children now surrounded by social media, surrounded by influencers, some of them speaking some truth, some of them not. Are you seeing any signs maybe more so with James? Is he talking about things he's watching and seeing online? Is that a potential worry for you? James is pretty awesome in that he's quite a sensible kid. And he can't lie to me. So he and I have good conversation. Very rarely, he's an introvert. So we don't talk at all during the day, but at bedtime, I snuggle into bed with him and that's our time for a chat. And provided I ask the right questions, he's he's pretty forthcoming about things. So he does watch YouTube. Greg and I had a con- long conversation around it because I don't, I'm not, was never quite sure about YouTube because it's uncensored content, right? At least on television and apps and BBC apps and things, it's all age appropriate. And Greg assured me with James, he goes and looks at everything he's looked at weekly. So he's pretty clear what he's watching. It's all Minecraft or Mr. Beast is the worst of it. However, I am nervous about the potential future. So the worst stuff that's coming through at the moment is that he's watching this Mr. Beast guy who goes and does ridiculous, I mean, he make, this man makes a ton of money on his YouTube subscribers and then does these incredible stunts and The most recent one James was telling me about, which was kind of slightly financial, was he did something about, you know, staying in this, James called it a 200 grand a night hotel versus staying in a 20 pound a night hotel or something like that he he did. And he was comparing the two. So there's a little bit there, I think, of 
massive amounts of wealth and being able to do things. I I can see that starting to come in a bit. To be honest, it's less, I I think for the age that my kids are at, social media is not the problem. It's just we choose to privately educate our kids, but through where we are currently living in the world and blissful ignorance on our behalf, we've ended up in a very overprivileged pocket of the Cotswolds. And some of the kids that our kids go to school with are like so incredibly wealthy. And my main worry is that they kind of are starting to think that the sorts of parties that they go to is normal, you know, to have this extreme generosity, you know, overdoing it kind of thing. So we have conversations about that a lot and about the privilege that we have. I know social media is going to be massive and Rose, I think, is going to be more sensitive to it than James. I think firstly being a girl, but also being much more aware of others. She's very tuned in to the opinion of others. I can already see even at the age of six. So I think other than James looking at YouTube, Rose isn't allowed YouTube at the moment. But other than that, they're not on any platforms. And I will not be allowing that till they're at least in high school and they will hate me for it. But we don't do computer games. James has now been allowed Minecraft since he was nine, I think. But I don't let them do the shoot up games or any of that sort of stuff because it just, I know what, how it messes with their brains. You know, I know what all of the um, dopamine experts these organizations have and they're just too little and still developing to be messing with all of that. So I'm ready to be hated. But putting the line in the sand. Yeah. And and I mean, games obviously have a have a place and, and certainly in terms of helping kids understand more about money, things like that. Monopoly obviously is the original. Yeah. But yeah. Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow. Have you introduced any games and played with them, you know, to help them understand around that topic? Yeah, we've got Monopoly and we enjoy that. Also the good old game of life, which was one that I grew up with which needs a little bit of commentary because you don't necessarily invest or do any of that. I think Monopoly and certainly cash flow are much better. We don't actually have cash flow. We should get it. I think the kids would be well into that. It certainly makes the points of, you know, do you go to university? Do you get get an education or go straight to work? It makes the points of kids are bloody expensive, you know, these sorts of things. We do enjoy those sorts of games. And you've just reminded me, I really need to get my, we used to have, we have cash flow back in Australia, but I don't have it over here. And I think James especially would be absolutely ready for that. Yeah, I'm sure that would be a lot of fun. You mentioned university there, Joe. So obviously that's something that may or may not be a decision for them to go to university. Mm. Student mm. debt now is a mm. real issue, right? And mm. young adults are coming out of university with 20, 30, 40, 50,000 pounds worth of debt around their shoulders. And again, you know, how do you view that? And is that something you'll be able to support them with, do you think, or help them to maybe save up to manage that debt? Where Greg and I have come from around this is that we have decided that we will pay for our kids' education, but not for their life. I went to university. Greg didn't. I don't believe university is necessary if someone wants to be an entrepreneur or wants to kind of go down that route. So I'm not, I'm not as attached to have to get a uni degree, perhaps as many people are. Having said that, I can see with James, his brain will take him in that direction, yet to discover with Rose. But for us, we're already paying for education. So for us, it will just be an extension of that. If they want to go to uni, it'll be on us. If they want money to spend drinking themselves under a table with their mates at university, that bit will be on them. So the version of how I went through university back then, you know, I was very lucky in that the government paid for my university degree. I got an allowance from the government as a student as well. But if I wanted anything other than just basic living expenses, I had to have a job. So we'll be absolutely encouraging jobs from an early age and encouraging these habits that we've set up from the beginning. You don't get to spend all of that money, that it goes across these different accounts, you know, encouraging that to continue. But the actual paying for the degrees, the paying for the the basics, I'm up for that, you know, and it's a a decision that we've made. So hopefully... I'm hoping that our kids will at least intellectually understand good debt and bad debt by the time they're getting access to it. And fingers crossed, I think you can't save them from everything. They've got to learn the lesson the hard way. Even though I didn't have student debt per se, I'd managed to clock up 19 grand in consumer debt by the time I was 21 and had to figure out a way out of it. I think these things happen, don't they? Yeah. (laughs) 
So it'd be interesting, actually, you know, did you have any financial role models yourself looking back, Joe, as a child? What was the conversations around money in your own household like? There weren't any. And so I think my kids are going to be in better stead because we discuss this and we, you know, educate and we talk about money. Whereas in my, in my family, through I mean, no fault of my parents, you know, it was, they were doing the best they could with what they had. But my parents went through that incredibly difficult time in the, in the 90s, um, you know, the early 90s where interest rates were massively high. My stepfather and my mother owned a department store, community department store, you know, selling zips and wool and clothes and things like that. And during the early 90s, it was massively stressful. I now know, having spoken to them about it, mum and Roger had just bought the building that they were in and then mortgage rates went up through the roof. So things were super tight. But all I remember about that whole period of time is just sitting quietly at the dinner table. We weren't allowed to talk. We just watched the news. So we never even spoke as a family really about anything. Don't get me wrong, mum and the girls, you know, once the formal dinner and stuff was done with our stepfather and so on, we'd get out in the kitchen and natter about school or whatever as we were doing the dishes. But we never spoke about money. We never spoke about how we were doing. We never learned anything. It was just very hush-hush and never discussed unless we say, oh, no, no, we can't have that. We can't afford it. You know, that was a constant thing. But there was always enough for what we needed. I then discovered that that had become a belief for me, that there's always just enough to cover what you needed, but never more than enough. Uh, That was something I had to deal with early on in my uh, personal development journey, I think. On my dad's side, dad was a big spender. He, He likes big displays of things, but he always broke a lot of promises too. You know, he would promise to take us to Disneyland or promise to take us to Morocco or promise to do all, and none of it ever eventuated. So he kind of liked to be seen to have a lot of money, but then often didn't because, you know, he was feast and famine, you know, keep the wolves from the door kind of entrepreneur, then he'd lose the lot. You know, he had five failed business partnerships. And then, I mean, in one case, he took the recommendation of his ex-business partner who'd literally done him in for his next business partner. I'm like, dad, I'm 17 and I can see that this is a problem. Come on. So, you know, not great role models. Dad was up and down like the entrepreneurial yo-yo and mum and Roger were very security focused, but very quiet. So everything I know now about building wealth, about being financially responsible, about entrepreneurship is stuff I've learned myself from scratch. Yeah. And and do you think looking back you know, now, was there a trigger that almost pushed you or launched you into that direction? Was it perhaps because you had grown up and I don't don't know, can you see anything that obviously really sparked you to to follow that path? For me, I think like at an identity level, I feel like I'm an artist, coach, change maker first, entrepreneur second. Don't Mm. get me wrong. I love business and I'm very curious about it and I love learning about it and I love supporting people around it. But for me, it wasn't a push into entrepreneurship. It was a a call into helping people as a coach. Mm -hmm. And I pretty quickly discovered I had to bloody work out how to sort out money to be able to, if if I wanted the honor of running my own business, helping people, I needed to do the work of sorting out the debt that I had to start with and then managing money effectively to be able to continue to do that. So it was a calling into my life's purpose. And then I had to figure out the business stuff to be able to do it, I suppose, yeah. was my experience of it. Yeah. And obviously you're a, a huge fan of personal development and, and, and money mindset. That's something I guess is is lifelong learning, right? That always mm. continues, doesn't it? It's um, and, oh, and yeah. very important. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the problems never go away. They just, the the number of zeros at the end of the problem gets more, you know. So we've had some really interesting times since we started the business where I've had to, like where old patterns have started to come out again. You know, like I abdicated responsibility around money. I'm like, you know, I'm a bit of a, I don't don't not care about it. I do. But my my default is it's all going to be fine. Let's just help people. It's going to be fine. And if I'm not regularly in disciplined fashion, looking at my forecasting, looking at my cash flow, looking at the historic P&Ls and things, we've had times when we've, we've gone off the rails. Never so bad that we couldn't recover it. You know, we can always see it coming three months in advance because I got good at that very, very early on, thank God. But those old patterns keep coming out and it's almost just like the bigger the numbers get, the further I've got to dig in and 
learn around it. Yeah. And do you think subconsciously that might be from that childhood experience? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely yeah. know that it is from that childhood experience, you know, either of it doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we're kind and that we're good. You know, that's the messaging I got from mum. Or otherwise, this kind of it'll be fine, it'll it'll come back, and then oh god, oh, you know that that sort of up yeah. and down feast and famine sort yeah. of norm that was built in from you know having having dad be that side. But my energy kind of almost wants to recreate, even though I know it's not helpful. There's there is still that. It's almost like that's the, that's the way business goes. It's got to go up and down and up and down. Well, actually, no, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. So there's uh, there's definitely always further to grow. So of course, that's obviously shaping now the way that you're you're having those conversations with James and Rose. And and mm. is it important to you that they follow in your entrepreneurial footsteps? I don't mind if they want to start a business or not. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I think entrepreneurship it's not easy. For me, it's a spiritual pursuit where I'm constantly having to look at myself and grow and of self-inquiry. You've got to be a self-motivated and a self-starter and believe in yourself. And I don't think it's the only way to wealth. I absolutely want them to be financially responsible, but I do powerfully believe that it doesn't matter how much you earn or whether it's by a job or by running your own business, it's what you do with what you earn that is where wealth is created. You know, it's how you manage that money. I always think of it as three phases, right? There's the make, the manage, and the multiply. And the manage and the multiply, I hope that both of my kids have got that scun by the time they finish school. Because if Rosie wants to be a pop star, the only thing that, you know, is going to stop her from being a pop star is that she feels like she's got to earn money to put food on the table. But if she's got property investments and some stocks and shares that she's satisfied with and that are solid enough to spin off enough money to keep a 20-year-old going, she can go after her dreams as a pop star. So for me, that's what I wish I'd learned earlier is wealth building's not sexy. Entrepreneurship's very sexy and fun. You know, like make it the make phase can be incredibly powerful and rewarding and amazing and and you know emotionally beneficial. Certainly for me it is. The, the what you do with your energy for money, but the manage and the multiply really are pretty fucking boring. And if they can have that handled, then they can do whatever they like yeah. in the make phase because it That's- won't matter as much. Joanna, it's been fascinating speaking with you today, as always. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for sharing your, your insights into your family life and your own business. And uh, I really look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you for having me, Christian. And I really hope everyone who's listening's journey goes very well. And let me actually not forget to just point people in the direction of where they can go and find out more about you, Joanna, where online if they want to follow and and watch some of your videos. Yeah, sure. Well, on most social media, I'm Dr. Joanna Martin, DR Joanna Martin, or or just Joanna Martin, you'll, you'll find me. And my organization, the community of women we were speaking about earlier is called One of Many. So our website is oneofmany.co.uk. And we'd love to meet the women in your community or the wives, mothers, sisters of the uh, fellas in your community. Send them our way and we shall make them wonderful humans. Thanks a lot, Joanna. Speak soon. Speak soon. Thank you. Always enjoy speaking to Joanna. She had some really, really good stories there and we can talk about those in a second kevin but before we do that we've had some more reviews in and i'll take a second just head to Trustpilot and read out a review from joshua who says i love this podcast it is a great point of information i very much respect their ethos around wealth and they are incredibly generous with the info that they share very good and i think you mentioned in the last podcast chris that people don't have the time for review don't have time to write words. Take a moment to write a few words, please. Mean the world to us. But if you choose not to, you're just too busy to do that, then they can leave a Spotify review, can't they? Yeah, Spotify or iTunes. So if you're on either of those platforms, Apple Podcast or Spotify, just head to Wealth Talk to the main podcast page and you'll see the opportunity just to click, give us a star rating. And again, the more ratings we can get, the more the algorithms will share our podcast with other people and uh, we'll build this community and build this mission. Absolutely. Well, thank you if you choose to do that. And we're grateful for Joshua for doing that as well. So what, what do you want to start off with, Joanna? I noticed you didn't mention the doctor thing so much today because she previously had a calling, didn't she, as a, as a genuine medical doctor, but it just wasn't a natural fit. And she seems a real woman of passion, a purpose, and a sense of she needs to be 
fulfilled in what she's doing. And that is double-edged sword, isn't it? On the one hand, it's brilliant because you're pursuing a passion. But on the other hand, if you sometimes don't have the necessary training in how to turn that into a business, it can it can mean a challenge along the way, which she openly admits to and glad that she's successfully navigated that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we touched on uh, Joanna's uh, initial years as a doctor back in Australia in, in the first podcast episode we did. But uh, I think that was some time ago now. And a focus obviously now is on building her community. You talk about dreaming big there. That was one of the lessons I think that came through early on as well with James and Rose, that they're at that age where they're still dreaming of being pop stars and inventors. And, and that's good, right? You've got to encourage finding your passion and your purpose. That's one of the principles, of course, that we have laid down in the families program, but mm-hmm. um, encouraging and nurturing that at an early age. But if you can cross over passion with profit, then, well, that's ideal. Well, absolutely right. And I think we talk about that as well, passion and purpose, and trying to make sure that, as Ken Robinson said in his fantastic TED Talk, you know, creativity is just beautiful and wonderful to see in our young people, but it seems to get educated out of them as they as they get older. But it's nice to see that her two children are so distinctly different and unique. And it's just great to hear those how she's applying that and what she's learning from them, including I love that story of her daughter saying, now, now, mum, calm down, you know, breathe, let's breathe. Just sounds like a, a great family. Yeah, you can definitely picture that one. And I've been asking our guests over the last episodes when we've been talking about families, how they're introducing pocket money. With Joanna, she said that they waited until James, their first son, was um, at an age where he started to want things. And he was loving Lego, so he wanted the Batman set. And they used that as an opportunity to introduce the secrets of money, which I thought was really cool. And some of those secrets that Joanna shared there was adding value, which is money goes to people who help people. And then another secret was money stays with people who look after it. And then the secret around contribution was money likes to flow. And Mm. that makes it fun. And we talk about how important it is to make the conversations enjoyable and to create experiences around them as well. Yeah, and these are principles which really simplify things. So you don't have to get complicated. You don't have to go into the depths of financial products or taxation or anything complex to talk about money flows in the same way as we use the analogy of planting seeds. I mean, that's an easy contextual analogy, isn't it, for for children to get. So things flowing, seeds being nurtured and planted are all part of how you choose to give the context to your own children. And the younger they are, the the greater the power of your influence because you've got that influence for longer. And there's so much evidence, is there not, that those formative years, those ones where they're observing and participating in games, and I know she talked about games too, but they're just critical times in the habit-forming stages of, uh, of a child's early life. We've created the Family Wealth Declaration. You can download a copy of that. Again, link in today's show notes, but we'll be sharing. Burgeoning, Chris. You're going to be, they're going to be full to the brim. Going to be running out of room in these show notes this week. But Joanna talked about the set of family values that they have. And we talk about where are these conversations being had? Are they around the dinner table? Are they in the car? They come in different places, of course, but with Joanna, they've really got this set of principles where they discuss them over dinner and they say, where and how have you demonstrated these values? And and they reward with pocket money based on demonstrating the values, which is a nice way of doing it. Yes, I haven't seen that, particularly with the idea of having those values almost like our declaration, really. It's a proper document. You can seal it. You can laminate it. She's done. And I think it's it's lovely to talk about those things around the dinner table. I, I passionately believe that you're feeding our children anyway, so why not feed their mind and feed their bodies? I think it's a healthy thing to do. And, and why not do that? Because you've got them there anyway. It is quiet time for you, and it's a real opportunity to do that. That's definitely how I did it, and I encourage that, and I do that even today. Different people do in different ways, like you mentioned, the car. That's a university, isn't it, on the move? So why not feed their minds there too? Uh, sometimes listening to podcasts, we've heard that, and and having conversations, uh, toing and froing. Uh, very interesting the way people do it, and I love those little nuggets that that will probably inspire another parent to try that. I've even 
heard of parents thinking about this idea that money is so less visible these days that they're introducing the idea of pocket money in a pay packet. You know, so there's got that sensory opening a pay packet, taking money out and then having the jars to put money in. So there's a physical touching and a feeling and a sensing of what money's about rather than, well, where does money come from? You know, mummy's purse, daddy's wallet, or I tap it and it magically appears. You know, the, those are the critical distinctions that I think are important to make when you're talking about children as young as Joanna's. Yeah, well, that takes me back to my paper round days. I used to love getting the little brown envelope on the first day with my seven quid or whatever it was in there. Another thing is, of course, addressing the problems that exist in today's age for our young generation. There's many problems. We've talked about some of them. One of them is student debt. Joanna's take on it and and Greg, her husband, is that they will fund their children's education, but they won't fund their life. I think that's a fair point. And of course, Others will have different opinions and, and, and ways of approaching this, but th- but that's how they want to do it. Student mm-hmm. debt, though, is a, is a big issue and, and one that I think we'll be diving into deeper you know, in the future. Yeah, and, and student debt is going to rise. It's not going to get less. So, Joanna mentioned that in, in her growing up, she didn't have to pay for that education. In fact, there was a contribution. And, and likewise, my time at university wasn't paid for or at least the education me or my family didn't need to pay for. But like many students, we, and me included, we had jobs to kind of cover our living expenses and so on. But that's getting even more complex these days, isn't it? So I like the idea, though, she shared of wanting to encourage work, and whether that work is paid for in terms of a job or whether it's paid for in terms of being an entrepreneur is very difficult to be an entrepreneur very early. So just understanding where value comes from, I think, is an important consideration. And what I would share is I believe a job is like playing in a team. And the more that you can be more valuable to the team and you're seeing yourself as part of the team with a minimum expectation that somebody wants you to play on another team because the person whose team you're leaving writes you a glowing reference. If you can get to that position then it means you're conscientiously playing and working, looking to escalate yourself to a higher level than just simply turning up, getting your seven quid in your pay packet and then going home. Mind you, it would have been difficult in your day on a paper round to, to be a great team player. But interestingly enough, my father's, uh, my wife's father, sorry, we went to see him recently on a trip up to the Northeast. He's an older man now. And he was lamenting the fact that they had a, a paper boy used to stop and have a chat with them, you know, and now that's all gone. You know, they don't have that anymore. And he was saying that they missed that. So that young person took the time and energy to have a chat with an old geezer. And I thought that was a nice thing. Yeah. Touching on the principle of participation, the changes of technology, some of these things that are not the same as they were and um, some others that are better than they were. That's life, right? Well, certainly dangers. Uh, you touched on that with YouTube. There's dangers of scamming, we know, is definitely one of the problems we're seeing. And that anxiety, because you're you're seeing the comparison. You know, you talked about, uh, she talked about schools, that some of the children around the place where she lives and the school that they go to, fabulously wealthy, and maybe they have um, a birthday party with a pony involved, you know, and if you don't have that kind of wherewithal, you don't want your children to have an expectation that's way outside of uh, the financial sphere that uh, you're in. And I think it's important then that comparison economics doesn't take over. It's easy to do in peer-to-peer pressure, but it's also easy to do in technology. You can see what people have achieved. There's a perverse logic that sometimes works the other way. I'll touch on that very briefly, if I may, that when you're seeing somebody doing extraordinarily well, you think it's easy. But on the other hand, uh, we've seen in, in our own Wealth Builder Academy program that Chris, sometimes when they start, they see somebody racing ahead and they feel bad. They feel guilty that they're not making progress. Yet each person's journey in wealth is very different and very unique. And that's sometimes a difficult one for grown-ups to get their head around. Absolutely. Yeah, many psychological fears coming in there. Growing up, conversations about money were not commonplace in Joanna's household. I think she openly shared that some of that mindset has followed through into later life and the importance of really cultivating a strong, positive mindset around money. Because 
those formative years you talked about earlier, Kevin, up to the age of seven, those influences at home are with you for life if you can't break those habits as you get older. Yeah, it's, it's almost like if you imagine a, a child, I wouldn't want to liken them to a computer, but they sort of are, aren't they? They're, they come into the world unprogrammed and then they get programmed. And the earlier you can program programming good habits, the easier it is for them to continue those habits forward so they build and they grow and get stronger. The more difficult it is is to unwind or to rewind or to rewire habits that have been poorly formed. And everybody's life is different in terms of how their parents interacted. Then my parents didn't talk about money, never knew anything about how that felt until it was much later when my dad actually got into business. And then he started talking about it because he was getting excited about stuff. And I remember that feeling. But yeah, money is a is a subject that needs to be on the to-do list, not on the taboo list. So it's really important to do that. And I think Joanna's noted that and it seems to be doing an outstanding job with what she's doing and how she they're conscientiously doing it. It's intention, isn't it? It's on purpose. And I can't see that that will be anything other than positive for our two young ones. Indeed. And the last words there about it's not how much they earn, it's what they do with that money and make sure it's going to good causes, but also that money's working hard to make more money and not trading time for money. So um, being financially responsible was the words that she used there. Well, I think that's a good outcome, isn't it? You'd be happy if you're, you know, when you wave off your kids finally, you know, calling them kids when let's say they get to, they choose to do college, university, whatever they're doing, you see them there and you realize they're responsible enough not to be succumbing to bank sales tactics to get them into debt, wearing the, you know, I've got a credit score on my back, waiting for someone to be interacting with a view to making profit. There's so much self-interest when young adults start off in life that if you've got responsible children, then they'll become responsible adults too. And I think that's great. Yeah. So thank you again to Joanna for taking time out, sharing all of those lessons with us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to those. Please do share feedback. Let Kevin and I know that you're enjoying these conversations around money, around families. It's a big mission. We announced on episode 200 that we were changing direction, that this was really where we wanted to put our energy to not just helping the individuals to build wealth, but help the entire family, parents, grandparents, and children. Yes. And we'll get our fair share of of people across the age divide, Chris, and we want to do that. And I just want to make an extra special note to say thank you to Joanna because the humility it takes to share your lessons, you know, sometimes being a little vulnerable too, I think is uh, is something that's worthy of being appreciated. And I'd like to thank her for doing that because it takes a rare person to want to give of themselves, not just the good lessons, but also the things they've learned along the way. And I think that's great. Final words, don't forget to register for next week's Families Launch. Head to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash families launch, all one word, and you'll be able to register. Free event, choose the lunchtime or the evening session. Kevin and I will be there. We'll be showing you everything that we put together for the Families Program and how you can join us as a founder member. Special, special opportunity. Do not miss it. Kevin, you and I will be back same time, same place next week. We will indeed. And until then, my friend, see ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.